0: Let's take our Bibles back to the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 4. I don't know that we'll finish the book tonight, but it's possible. Colossians chapter 4. We were dealing with verses 1 through 6 of the chapter, and I sort of left off some comments in verse number 5, so let's start there. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 5. The Bible says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Well, we need wisdom to live. We need wisdom in our families. We need wisdom every day. And, of course, God says in James chapter 1 that we can ask for that wisdom, and he'll give it to us liberally as long as we ask in faith and we need wisdom to how to how to walk he says walk in wisdom how we conduct our lives the decisions that we make where we go who we associate with all that takes wisdom but in this text he talks about walking in wisdom toward them that are without that is a very specific phrase directed toward people that are unsaved the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22 verse 15 he says for without our dogs. Now when he talks about all the unbelievers being on the outside he likens it unto unclean animals that you wouldn't let in your house unless you're an American but but <laughs> normally normally people don't let the zoo in their house the zoo is on the outside. Well, in God's economy, he keeps people, he says, outside of the city of God, outside of the favor of God and the grace of God is a host of people that are unclean and are not saved. And so he refers to them as being without. Jesus, when he was preaching in Mark chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says, he said unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. They were, they were asking him, why are you talking like you're talking? And he he spoke to the disciples differently than he did to those that were without. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, What have I to do to judge them that are without? Do not you judge them that are within. So the two different crowds, those that that are a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. We are within those that have not been saved. They are without. And God tells us that we need to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. It is not just enough for us to witness to people that are lost. We need to wisely walk in front of them. If you remember when we were talking about this, Paul was asking for a prayer request in verse number 2 and 3. And he says, pray for us in verse 3, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. He's wanting God to open a door so that he can preach the gospel. He can speak about Christ to other people. But do you understand how difficult that is if you're not walking in wisdom toward those people? If our daily lives detract from the message of the gospel, God says we need to make sure we're walking in wisdom and that there's time to say things and time not to say things. He even says that in verse 6. We need to have gracious speech. It needs to be seasoned with salt. But we need to have wisdom the way we talk to people. We need to have wisdom the way we walk in front of them. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 says, Walk honestly toward them that are without. Probably one of the great hindrances to Christianity is the fact that people that say they're saved do not walk honest lies before people who do not say they're saved. And it is a reverse commercial against the gospel and so the Lord tells us, while we have a burden for the lost world, while we want a door uh, of utterance to be opened to give the gospel lost world, we need to make sure we're walking in wisdom toward them, that we are walking honestly toward them. He even says, uh, regarding those that hold office in the church, he, in 1 Timothy 3, he says that they need to have a good report of them that are without. He's talking about our testimony. So, So really, we're praying for people to be saved, but we need to pray as well that we have a good testimony before people that are unbelievers. Now, that doesn't mean they always agree with us. That doesn't mean that we do not do things that make them angry. But at least we need to live such a life that we would command some respect from people that know that we're real and we're not fakes, you see. I don't know how many times I've knocked on a door, you know, and they said, well, I, I'm not going to church. Everybody at church is a hypocrite. You know, I, that, right down this road across, uh, um, just right across 251, I went to a house. And that, that guy, he didn't know I was a preacher. And he said, I don't go to church because, and I wasn't dressed like this. He said, I don't go to church because all preachers are hypocrites. I said, is that right? <laughs> so we had a little conversation about that. Now, maybe, now I know some people say that and they're just, they are themselves hypocrites. They're just trying to find a reason to go to hell. Yeah, they're just trying to find a reason to blame God. But having said that, how many people do you know that have named the name of Christ that have drugged a holy life in the mud hole? And the unbelievers see that. And so the Bible says this, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Look at the rest of the verse. We preached a whole message on this recently. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Why does he put that with walking in wisdom? Well, probably we we will make up more ground with the lost with our witness and redeem the time with them if our lives are better in front of them. We certainly do need to take advantage of every opportunity of our time before the lost world. I, I haven't forgotten about I'm still working. Uh, Brother Fleur, he says, please give me some time. We're about to adopt this country uh, in South America, Lord willing, next year and start planning some things for missions trips. But everything that's going on with in his family, just it's been a little bit difficult right now. But but we're not wasting time on there. We're trying to redeem the time to to make sure that we're making. There, I sent a, a note over to my my Greek pastor friend over in Zakynthos Island. Said, "Hey, it's 2025. But we're coming." I didn't tell him. I told him. I said, "I'm learning Greek." I didn't say I was on Duolingo, but everybody else is. But but we're we're trying to redeem the time and get ready. And we, we don't need to waste our time, but but what will help our cause is not only trying to make sure we're doing things quickly, but we're doing things well, and we're walking in wisdom. So anyway, that, those are the comments I, I didn't make as we were going through verse 1 through 6. Now, we start verse 7. We have what I would call a roll call. Here's a list of about 10 different men As Paul finishes up the letter to the Colossians, and he's going to tell you something about these men. He's going to call their names, and he is going to give a commendation to some of them. Some of them he he didn't say very much about, but uh, they made the list. There's ten of them, and, you know, all of us are telling a story, and, and I would like to know where you think you fit in the roll call. And so if we put the roll call of Sweet Springs Baptist Church and we end the letter and we started mentioning people, and we put your name in the last chapter, what would we say about you? Think about that as we go through this. What would be your testimony, even as we've been talking about testimony? Let's start in verse number 7. He says in verse number 7, the first guy, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister, And fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. In this roll call, the first man that he mentions uh, for the Lord here is Tychicus. He calls him three things a beloved brother, he calls him a faithful minister, he calls him a fellow servant. Now, Tychicus is found throughout several of the books of the Bible, and Paul is often sending him in different places. He sends him to Ephesus. He is sending him here to Colossae. He's somebody that he can count he can count on. He's one of those men in Acts chapter 20 that Paul counts on. You know, I, I wouldn't trust just anybody to represent me or Take a copy of the Bible. Can can you imagine how precious uh, this package was that Tychicus was bringing with him? He is bringing the original autographs of the Apostle Paul. The only copy of the book of Colossians that you have in your hand. And Paul says, I think I can trust this guy to get it there. So the first thing I would, and he often sends Tychicus on on these errands. He he has trust in him. He knows he, you know, there are some people that know the Lord, but they are just as uh, absent-minded and um, not very responsible. Tychicus was responsible. He's entrusted with carrying one of the letters of the Bible without losing it, without spilling his drink on it without letting the birds get to it. or He trusts Tychicus to get the Bible to the Colossians in one piece. And so I wonder how much trust would we have? Would we be that trustworthy fellow servant in the Lord that God could count on? If God looked down at Sweet Springs Baptist Church and he says, which, which one can I count on? And by the way, we're entrusted with the same job. Can he count on us? Can he count on you to get the word of God to people that need it? Are we responsible with that? We're supposed to be good stewards. Tychicus was such a man. He was being sent To bring them the word of God, to bring this letter. The Bible says he's a beloved brother. You know, there's always people in the family that call your name and and you immediately light up. Oh, so and so's coming home for the holidays. Oh, glory to God. Or Uncle so and so will be here for the holidays. There's just some people that'll bring joy. And wonderful fellowship to a There's others that they wouldn't. Be. They're brothers, but the beloved part might be a little lacking. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the beloved brothers. I, I want to be one of the ones that, that that spread the love of the Lord and the fellowship month. That's Tychicus. He's called a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a faithful minister. I have pastored some people that I didn't know where they were, and I don't know if God knew where they were. Because you can't count on them to be faithful. You know, if you can't do anything, you can be faithful. Yeah. You can be faithful to God, faithful in your life, faithful to your family, faithful to your church. And the closer we get to the coming of the Lord in these last days, and Laodicea is mentioned over and over in this text, I think that faithfulness goes by the wayside. You know how many people live their lives, and they not only do not go to church three days a week, they don't go to church three times a month. And they don't open up their Bible three times a month. And faithfulness, I, I guarantee you every wife in here wants a faithful husband. I guarantee you every husband in here wants a faithful wife. Is that all right? And God wants faithful children. He wants to be faithful. And you may not have... The personality of somebody else, you may not have the talent or ability of somebody else, but you can be faithful. Yeah. As much as anybody else can be faithful. That's Tychicus. That's why I think he entrusted these things to because he was faithful. He knew he could count on him. Here's the question In these last days, can God count on us? Can God count on us? Will we be found faithful? He's a beloved brother. He's a faithful minister. Now I want you to look at that word, minister, and fellow servant Lord. In other words, he's just not faithful to church. He's faithful to minister to people. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that Paul is sending him to the Colossians, look at verse number 8, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. He's sending him there, there excuse me, to comfort them, to minister to them. And so in these last days, I want to ask you, who are you ministering to? Life, Brother Sutek used to always say, ministry is life, and life is ministry. In other words, his whole life was to minister to somebody, whether it was the gospel or, or teaching the Bible or helping in some way. He wanted to minister, and that's where our, if our lives are not about ministry, they're not about anything. And so if the Lord wrote down the minister's, in Sweet Springs. I don't have any understanding here that Tychicus is a pastor. He's just a good minister. He's just a good servant. He's a fellow servant. So if we list all the servants, you know, in this church, we, we have certain, matter of fact, in our church, we have a certain group of people that do everything. And so if we wrote a letter, Of Sweet Springs Baptist Church, and we started listing the servants. As a matter of fact, drop down to verse number 11. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, watch it. These only are my fellow workers of the kingdom of God, which you've been a cover. Paul, can't you find more than 10 guys that that you're working with? I mean, you've got to win the whole world. You're writing the Bible. You're the most important man on the planet right now. And these are the only ones you can come up with. I tell you what. People that minister to other people and are servants to other people are few and far between. It's the same people that do all the, all the stuff. And this list of 10, there, there should have been 100 Can you imagine, can you imagine getting to heaven and you were living (laughs) when Paul was alive, but all you did was go to work and went to church? Don't get quiet on me. That's not where to get quiet. I mean, I I can say something to get quiet, but that's not it. Can you imagine if you had the privilege to be in the assemblies that Paul was starting and you had the opportunity to be in that early church, but you just didn't do anything and you let 10 other guys do everything? Boy, I bet you you around the throne there's going to be, I'm sorry, Paul, I'm sorry. If I'd have known that you were the greatest, if I'd have known you were writing the Bible. If I'd have known how important it was. I was just saved. I wasn't a servant. I wasn't a minister. There's a whole lot of people in the congregation, but very few fellow workers, very few fellow servants. And so we get to write our own story. We get to write our own um, narrative of whether or not we are a faithful minister, whether we're a fellow servant, or whether we are a fellow worker. We get to write that. And I think it was sad that there wasn't more names he couldn't put, that he had to say, these only. You look at Paul's life, he had very few supporters. He had very few people working with him. And at the end of his life, drop down there to verse, um, where is it, where he talks about Luke. He just mentions him. 14, Luke, the beloved physician. He says at the end of his life, he said, only Luke is with me. What a dirty shame. There were lots of other saved people, but they weren't with Paul. They weren't helping him. I don't want that to be the narrative of my life. I don't want it to be yours. And you can be faithful. You can be a minister. You can be a servant. You can be a worker. Tychicus, a faithful minister and fellow servant. And then look at the next guy he mentions, verse number 9. And this should encourage all of us. It's a wonderful story of grace. With Onesimus. So Paul sent Tychicus and Onesimus together, all right? With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So Onesimus, he's not just saying he, he was a believer among them. He he was from Colossae. He was a Colossian. That's where he was from. And you, we remember his story, Onesimus' story from the Book of Philemon. It's very possible that he is also delivering the letter to Philemon with the letter to Colossae, the letter of Colossians. We don't know that, but it's very possible. Onesimus is that servant of Philemon, the rich guy, you know, that, that, that stole or did something wrong and took off and wound up in jail with Paul over there, you see. And Paul led him to Christ and then sent him back. And, and this is what we're reading about. This, this slave who now, he says, he's a faithful and beloved brother. Aren't you glad in the family of God there is, there, there, there's no status, there's no levels it doesn't matter if you were a slave, amen, or if God, or if the Lord cast out seven devils out of you. I mean, everybody's just on the same plane. It doesn't matter if you're Nicodemus or if you're one of those priests that got saved or if you were just a blind man, amen, that God touched and healed or whoever you were or you're a Gentile or you're a Jew. Everybody is on level plane at the cross. He said, he's one of you. He's a beloved brother. There's no, there's no, uh, uh, there's no categories of Christians. We're all recipients of His grace, and Onesimus is faithful. That God can take a thieving or, or sinful individual and make them a faithful individual. I say, if Onesimus can be faithful, anybody can be faithful. To have to go back and submit himself to Philemon. Won't be. I'm sure it was a difficult task, but he faithfully did what he was told to do. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. I see Paul is entrusting Tychicus and Onesimus to give a proper report. You know today when you tell somebody to go take news of such and such to somebody, you know by the time they get there it might be changed three or four times. Have you noticed people make up their own versions of stories? And they twist it to their prejudices or to their wants or or what they want you to hear. Paul said this, I'm sending these guys because they're faithful. They're going to tell you exactly what's going on here. And they're not going to embellish it and they're not going to dumb it down. They're just going to be truthful and they're going to find out what you are doing and they're going to bring me a report about what you're doing. you know if they had something against those brethren, Tychicus could have come back. Should I tell you what? Those Colossians, they're saved, but Paul, I tell you what, they're they're lacking in this. He could have brought a bad report back. But Paul trusted these men to bring back an honest report. May the Lord help us not to speak things the way we want them spoken, but speak them faithfully. He could trust these guys. Let's get the next one. Here's the roll call. Verse number 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluted you. Hold your finger there. Go to Acts chapter 19. We have a little fact told about Aristarchus. These are are the, the, the least mentioned heroes of the Bible. But God put them in the word of God for people to read. And one day, if you're saved, you're going to get to meet them. There's a lot of people that seem similar in obscurity, but they're heroes of the faith. And sometimes our lives, we think they're in obscurity, but let's let's be faithful and do right. God's, God's keeping the record. The Bible said in Acts chapter 19, in verse number 29, And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia. Watch it now. Paul's companions in travel Aristarchus is someone that faithfully traveled with Paul he's mentioned in chapter 20 verse 4 of those that accompanied Paul into Asia in chapter 27 of this is somebody nobody talks about but in chapter 27 of the book of acts in verse number 2 the bible says that entering into a ship of Adramidium we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica being with us. So here is a Thessalonian Christian that no doubt had come uh, cross paths with the Apostle Paul in these missionary journeys. And evidently when he got to to, uh, Thessalonica and he met Paul, he says, I tell you what, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you travel, I'm going to travel. Well, what if we travel into trouble? I'm I'm going to be your companion in travel. I just want to be with you. Isn't that what they did with the Lord? You know, the guy that cast all those dervishes, he just wanted to be with him. I want want to be with you. I want to go wherever you want. want. Wherever you're going to go, that's where I want to go. Wherever you lay your head down, that's where I want to lay down. Do you see how this guy is such a selfless selfless guy? He's not concerned about the life he's traveling. He just wants to travel. With the servant of the Lord. And you know where he winds up? He winds up in the same jail that Paul winds up in. He becomes a prisoner. In my mind's eye, I can just see him. Well, if you're going to put him in prison, you might as well put me in prison because I'm going to go wherever he goes. If he goes to prison, I'm going to go with him. If if he gets into trouble, I'll be in trouble with him. I am linked together with Paul. May God give us some Christians with that kind of faithfulness and loyalty and courage. Wherever you are, that's where I'm going to be. And Paul is in a Roman prison, and he writes back and says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he's right here with me. Don't you know that was an encouragement to Paul? He didn't have to be in prison alone. I've often wondered if it had been you or if it had been me in Gethsemane. And the Lord just wanted somebody to be with him in the garden of Gethsemane. He just wanted somebody to stay awake and be with him. And they all went to sleep. They were there, but they really weren't there. They weren't where he needed them to be. And he kept coming back. Guys, can't you not watch with me? I I want somebody to watch with me. I don't want to be in this garden of tears alone. I want you to pray with me. And the Lord had no prayer partner. I bet Peter, James, and John and those disciples will kick themselves all around heaven for about a thousand years because they all went to sleep on Jesus. In the hour in one of his darkest hours. Just want you to be with me. Here's Paul, one of the darkest hours of his life. He's he's gonna end with his death. And Aristarchus says, I'm here with you, Paul. Wherever you're gonna go, that's where I'm gonna go. Mm. What a roll call. I don't know what's gonna happen before Jesus comes, I don't know what's gonna happen the next year or two. But may we not be people that just forsake and flee at the first sign of trouble. May we be that loyal band that says, hey, we're going to stick together. Look, we're going to travel this road together. We're family. We've got a common Savior, and we're going to follow together. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. Watch the next roll call, verse 10. And Marcus, sister son to Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. He said, make sure you receive Marcus, and if you get any commandments from him, make sure you listen to them. And the reason Paul had to say this, because this is the same Marcus, he, he says, sister son to Barnabas. You see that? That's the same guy over there in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas had such sharp contention with. That's John Mark is who that is. And Paul says, you're not going with me anymore. I'm not going to be around you. He's the one that left them when when, when the devils came out and it got hard on the mission field. And yet God restored Marcus and became a trophy of God's grace. You know, this is the great thing in this roll call. It's not a roll call of people that never failed. It's a roll call of a lot of people that did fail, but they were restored and carried on and fulfilled the good will of God for their lives in spite of their failure. I'm telling you what, one of my favorite favorite books of the Bible is the book of Mark. That guy right there wrote it. The flunky on the mission field wrote the gospel of Mark. The one that made Paul so angry Wrote the gospel that presents to you Jesus Christ as a servant of servants, and he became profitable to Paul for the ministry. When Paul concludes his life, he says, "Hey, bring Mark. He's profitable for me in the ministry." And he's writing about about Mark at the end of Colossians and say, "Hey, if he comes, you receive him. You, you forget about all that other bad story and that other stuff that happened. You receive." Uh, Marcus, and if he has something to say to you, you, you listen to him. You know what we do sometimes? Here's somebody that, that didn't have the ideal testimony. And so, you know, we won't cut him any slack and we won't let him do anything. <laughs> and Paul says, if, you, if he comes, you receive him. Don't just bring up how he failed all the time. You receive him. And if he gives you commandments, you. You receive them because he's been restored and God's using him. And that, that ought to be encouraging to some of us because everybody in here, everybody in here, you know, if 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 God writes the roll call and you say, oh, man, I tell you what, mine's going to be terrible. But with the grace of God and the mercy of God, he, he can overcome those failures, but you got to get up, you see. Marcus didn't. Mark didn't continue in his fears, and he didn't continue in his failure. He got up, and he, he joined himself again to the will of God. He did what God was wanted him to do, and it, he was restored with the Apostle Paul. He was resp- restored in the good things of God. If you failed, don't stay there. Don't keep Let God write another uh, uh, thing on your roll call. God didn't just write the failure of Acts in Mark's life. He also wrote about the great restoration and then gave him the great task of writing one of the four gospels. That's a powerful thing. I tell you what, I've met people that fail and then they just can't ever get back up again. Don't let that be you. And that's going to happen more and more when we're in this Laodicean age. And he's reminding us, think about Marcus. God's not finished with your story. Marcus, he says, sister, son to Barnabas. And then verse number 11, he mentions a fifth man. He says, and Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision. So this guy is a Jew. Now, they they called him Justice because they didn't want to go around calling him Jesus for obvious reasons. You do know that Jesus is the Hebrew name for Joshua, a very common name. And God Almighty took a common name and exalted it above every name. And then after that, people say, Oh, I don't want to be called Jesus, call me something else. <laughs> Because he took that common name and he he elevated it to a place where nobody else really really deserves that name. We're going to put that, just call me Justice. (laughs) The Bible says this man Justice, watch it, who were of the circumcision. So his good story is, though he was a Jew, that God saved him out of that and put him with the apostle to the Gentiles. These only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. I want to be someone that has brought comfort and help to people. Not a distraction, not a discouragement. Verse number 12, we get the sixth man, Epaphras, who is one of you, also a Colossian. A servant of Christ saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Now, Epaphras, he introduced us to Epaphras in the very first chapter in verse number 7. He had left Colossae. It looks like Epaphras was the pastor. Now, this church was started in Philemon's house. But I don't know if Philemon was the original pastor or just the caretaker. But Epaphras is the first pastor. But what happens is God sends Epaphras away from Colossae. And now he is with Paul and he's sending greeting back. But God replaces him with another man. The present pastor, verse number 17, watch it. And say to Archippus... Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. So now we've got the next pastor who is our chippus in the absence of Epaphras. Thank God that this church had enough faithful men that it wasn't all built on one individual. How many times has a work been built on a man and then that man's gone and then everything falls apart? And that's why it's important that you men be faithful. And that's why it's important that you men are loyal to God and on fire for God. Because the church should not just be built around the personality of one individual. And it wasn't in A Epaphras a left and next man up. Here comes Archippus. And Paul says Archippus, you, you take heed to the ministry that God's given you there now and fulfill it. It's, it's a ministry. It's a path for you now. Epaphras did a great job, but now you've got a job to do. You know one of these days if the Lord doesn't tarry, all us old heads are going to be gone. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to fill the, the gap and fill the shoes. They're, they're going off the scene one by one. Epaphras left, but our has stepped in. He's also mentioned in the book of Philemon as well. He's a good soldier, and I'm sure they were different. I appreciate about this church, man. Pray, thank God this church didn't expect me to be my brother. A few did, and they didn't stay long. But I mean, you can only be you, right? But you can be the best you you're supposed to be for the glory of God. Not, not trying to be. By the way, you'll always fail trying to be somebody else. <laughs> and really, all of us, we got our biggest task is to, all of us to be like Jesus, you see. And so, Epaphras, our these are faithful ministers in this good church. Look what it says about him, verse number 12. Who is one of you a servant of Christ, above all things. That, that's the greatest title I think you can put on anybody's life. He's a servant of Christ. Saluteth you. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Paul said, I watched this guy. When he left, he's still praying for you. Yeah. Aren't you glad for somebody that just keeps on praying for you, even if they're not around you? He wasn't profiting by them. He was a million miles away. But Paul said, I'm watching. He not only prays for you, he prays fervently for you. He's laboring Boy, that means that shows us prayers are work. It's hard work. That's why a little of it gets done. This guy, he loved the church so much that he prayed for it. He prayed for it fervently, even when he wasn't there. What was he praying for? That ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. You know that's really good praying right there. You know what we, we usually pray for people? We pray for people either what they want done or what we want done for them. This guy is such a, a servant of Christ. He says, oh God, keep them in your perfect will. Help them to do your will. If it's your will, they go through trouble, help them to go through the trouble with the grace of God. Whatever your will is, Lord, help them. Help them to do your will. You know that's what any good pastor worth his salt. He just wants you to do the will of God. His expectation. You know I do have an agenda here as the pastor of this church. You know what my agenda is? My agenda is that every family in here does the will of God, whatever that is. And if you're not not doing the will of God, it doesn't matter what you're doing. That's what Paul the Apostle told these uh, Colossian believers. He said in Colossians chapter 1 verse 20, 28, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. He's trying to get them to do the perfect and complete will of God. I don't want to live my life and at the end of the day stand before God and I didn't do the purpose that I was born here to do. Don't miss the reason for your life. The reason for our life is just the will of God. Whatever He wants. If He wants us to labor in obscurity, if He wants us to rest in a prison cell next to a, a man of God, we'll do that. Whatever you want, Lord, I, I just want to do Your perfect and complete will. That's just a fervent prayer for this church. Look at verse 13. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you. And them that are in Laodicea and them in Heropolis. Thank God for somebody who has a great zeal for the church. Amen. In the midst of it, he even had a great zeal for Laodicea. You see that? He's got a great zeal for the church in these last days. Don't lose your zeal for the church. Don't let the church get old hat. Don't get bored with the things of God. Let God stir some zeal up in your heart. I've got great, not just zeal, but great zeal. That's a roll call that we need. If he'd have wrote about somebody else, he could have said, you know, Joe so-and-so is bored to death with your church. He could have written, so-and-so is so excited they sleep every time they come. So-and-so about your church, every time you have something, they're not there and they're not interested to be there. But this man, a pastor, great zeal for you. I mean, he's excited. He's zealous. You know why our churches are dead? Nobody has any zeal. I like that word, zeal. Zeal. That's what young people used to have. We used to tell young people, now don't be all zeal and no knowledge. (laughs) That's what we used to tell. Try to calm them down, you know, because they're just way over excited. Something happened with all that. Yeah. And when you get older, I like these old men. We're going to have brother of, uh, oh, there goes my old brain, for homecoming. Yeah. He preached all around here. He's got the colonoscopy bag. See, he lost it, too. He's preached here two, two years in a row. He's got zeal. Preaching up and down the. See, Miss Mark, you lo- you had it and then you lost it just like I did. Let me ask you a question: Who? No, no. But he's got zeal too. Let me ask something: How can old people have more zeal than we do? How can these eighty-year-old men get up there and just get with it? How is that? And they was like, oh, those are sitting on not because they got zeal. And by the way, everybody's got zeal for something. But do you have zeal for the church? He's riding a roll call, boy Paphras. He's full of zeal for you. I mean, he's the guy that comes into church. He's gonna, he's gonna shout and holler. If my granddaddy was here, amen. You know what my granddaddy was doing at the end? He had more zeal at the end of his life. He he'd take his cane and he'd go, woo! just just to shake people up glory shake that cane 80 years old and here you know some of you don't even have arthritis yet you can't even get get excited I'm saying if God wrote a list of roll call who would he say in our assembly had great zeal for us Who would he write? Whose name would he put down? Boy, this guy's fired up. This lady, she's got zeal for God. Can't wait to pray. Can't wait for mission conference. Can't wait to give. Can't wait to witness. Can't wait to sing. Can't wait to praise God. Just zeal for us. That is a Well, he concludes, we'll conclude, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician. Thank God for people that are smart enough that know how to help other people too. (laughs) By the way, Jesus said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Even Jesus said doctors had a place. So if anybody here thinks that all doctors are bad, then you need to revisit uh, Dr. Luke. (laughs) Who was a great help to the Apostle Paul. In his older age, because Paul, the one that healed people and rose people from the dead, couldn't even heal himself at the end of his life. He couldn't heal other people, couldn't heal himself. All that apostolic power ran out. You know what he needed? He needed a doctor. But he didn't have a doctor that was just trying to make money off of him. Matter of fact, he had a private physician that didn't charge him. You know God has what people need if they'll just do the will of God. He had a private doctor, Luke, the same guy that wrote the gospel of Luke. One of the, probably one of the most brilliant men in the Bible. And you know what he's doing? He stays with Paul to the very end. He gives up his practice. gives up his career and says, I'll just travel with you and take care of you. God says, put that man's name down in the Bible, and then I'm going to let him write a whole gospel. And then, we're about finished. Verse 14, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Notice he didn't say anything about Demas. You know why? He's on the way out. And at the end of his life, he departed having loved this present world He was a defector, and evidently he was leaning that way because Paul didn't even have anything to say about him. I don't want to make the roll call and God says, I just can't say anything about him because he's leaning the wrong way. Demas greets you. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. Here's Nymphos. There's another guy. He's got a church in his house. Like Aquila and Priscilla did, like Philemon did, he had the Laodicean church in his house, evidently. Verse 16, and when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. For all you Bible students, take note of that. It doesn't say the epistle of Laodicea. Do you see that? that that's important. People say, well, here's here's a letter that didn't make it in the Bible, and so we need to find the epistle of Laodicea. No, he said said the epistle from Laodicea. Do you understand the difference? That means there was an epistle there. Maybe it was the epistle of Ephesians. Maybe it was some other letter that they had. But he says, I want you to read the letter that's there, and I, I want you to take your letter to them and read it there. In other words, he says, y'all need to be reading the Bible. (laughs) In the middle of Laodicean Christianity, you guys need to read the Bible. I wonder how long it would take to read the book of Colossians in a church service. Yeah, just read the whole thing. You know, I wonder how much zeal there would be if we did that. That's why I like reading it during communion, you know, read at least a chapter. And you always know, you know, who's got the devils rolling around because, you know, you get fidgety. You can't, can't sit still long enough for that power, the word of God, to be read out loud. Amen. Devils don't like to hear that. He said, "I want you to read the Bible. You people in La- those people in Laodicea, they need to read the Bible. You Colossians, you need to read the Bible. Read read each other's letters. They didn't have it all in one place like this. Oh, what a blessing we got! All we got all the letters. We need to be reading them." He ends in verse eighteen, the salutation by the hand of me, Paul. He probably was too sick to do all of his letters he had what's called an amanuensis which means they just wrote it at his mouth and then he would sign it at the end and then he says this remember my bonds <clears throat> however hard and tough it is in lay out to say you remember my bonds guys whatever's happening in your life in this modern day of christianity would you remember that we've got some brethren around this world that are in prison And some of them are dying. They're in Africa. They're in China. They're in North Korea. They're in different parts of this world. And they're suffering. And while we're going, whatever we're going through during Lettuce, we better remember those that are willing to be in bonds for the Savior. Grace be with you.